Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you this week? Um, I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to this one. I mean, not that I don't look forward to the other ones, but um, I'm particularly looking forward to this one. No, thank you for the clarification there. That's very much appreciated. Good. Well, this week we are carrying our little sojourn through with the Beatles, which means we are covering the third track on the album, All My Loving. And uh, we might as well just get started with it. So uh, what do you think of this one? Well, you know what? This is one of those early ones that that's lasted and and there's a reason why it's lasted in the it's a bit of a classic really isn't it yeah you can't really go that far wrong with this one i don't think you know it's doing a little bit of um <clears throat> reading around the subject of course it's it's one of those things that people seem to think that if it had been released as a single it probably would have done really well and and that's kind of how i think of it as well it's one of those um beatles songs that could easily have been um, a single but of course then when you start looking at it in that context you think actually there's an awful lot of this that is very sort of familiar early Beatles but it does seem to do some new stuff as well and and in particular I'm talking about the the lack certainly for the first half of the song of um, harmonies it's it's all Paul yeah very much so I mean it's a very Paul driven song but there's a lot of um there's a lot of aspects to this where I think you can really tell that the, the confidence of the band has greatly increased. There's, a, I mean, there's a real, uh, a real joie de vivre about it. It's, it's a very perked and perky little song, and it's very forward driving. But a lot of the kind of props of the older kind of style of the Beatles aren't there. So, for example, I think if this had been recorded or written for Please Please Me, it would almost certainly have a harmonica on it. <laughs> There's no harmonica. There's no harmonica on this, which is a good thing. But also, it doesn't need it. But the song has enough confidence to not have them fall back in those kind of familiar props. And so when you see it, it's kind of familiar aspects, but it's moving forward. I think that's kind of one example of it. It doesn't need those um, familiar trappings, even although much of what we have here is is kind of arranged in, in familiar patterns. Am I right in thinking as well that the um, the vocals, especially at the start, are, are double-tracked? It sounds like it. Yeah, they're they're really clearly double-tracked, yes. Because, I mean, it's very. it seemed clear to me, and my ears are not really that good for this sort of thing, that, that you've got those two voices in there, but it's Paul. And it's Paul singing with Paul, and there's no harmonisation there as well. It's just giving it a kind of like a, um, you know, some body instead. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying I don't have my complete Beatles recording sessions to hand, unfortunately, so I can't completely confirm this. But I think it sounds like it's uh, ADT artificial double tracking. Yeah. So it's the same vocals split over two tracks in the recording process, slightly out of phase. Um, and probably panned slightly wide in the stereo picture, which gives that that double vocal, and it does just give more presence to it. Um, I don't think that it's no. Paul singing the same line twice, but I'm not 100% sure. But I, yeah, I think it's ADT. Um, and it's a really interesting technique. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a small kind of production detail, but it makes a difference. You're right, there's no harmonies on this. It's just Paul, but yet more of Paul. Um, and it's really effective. It really does add that extra presence to the vocal track. Okay, so this this is um, um, where it gets interesting for me um, because actually if you spend too long analysing this, you realise it's just a really simple song done very, very well. I mean, the harmony um, is is really impressive. You know, Paul's walking bass lines, you know, fantastic and all of that. 
but you know you've got um, you know verse verse and then there's something approximating a, a chorus um, goes into um, um, the guitar break and then we've got chorus uh, verse and then that you know chorus type thing again before the end but for the first two goes at the um, at the verse we've got that double tracking um, we do get some ooze for the for the chorus but then when we come back after the guitar break there is a harmony there as well so it's almost like they understand it's that old thing isn't it of um, you know you you give people the basic elements of the song and then when you repeat them you layer in something new in order to make it sound a little more fresh and a little different and they've, they've got that they understand that so so well and it's done to such a, a sophisticated fashion um, by this stage bearing in mind how new they they still are. It's um you know genuinely stunning uh, to find them doing that. No, I completely agree. And the thing is, is it feels very instinctive as well. One of the great things about this song, I think, is that it feels. I mean, it's in, it's it's almost brash in its confidence, but it is it like I used that word before. But it is a very confident song, and the way that all these elements slot together does have that kind of instinctual element to it it doesn't feel like it's something which has been manufactured it's a paul mccartney song obviously it could not be more paul mccartney and that confidence in the lyric that confidence like you mentioned the walking bass line but it, it you can there it's easy to find if you if you look for it but there are um like isolated um tracks from this stuff and if you just listen to mccartney's isolated bass on all my loving it's astoundingly good it's just it's sometimes it's sometimes breathtaking how good he is at just being able to knock out this kind of this style of bass line he's just so underrated as as just like a talented bassist but he's really great at it and all of that radiates through this song and you need to you, you need to have a look at it um, on some of the the live recordings that they've got in fact we should we should mention um, you know that sort of thing in a moment because for the ones that I've seen he's not looking he knows what he's doing <laughs> and you know even George at times you can see him just going oh, I'm just going to look down you know fingers in the right even if it's just an instinctive thing but Paul was just like oh, yeah yeah I understand that I've got to, to bobble my head and look at the audience as I'm singing at you and I don't need to look at the fretboard it's, it's fine you know I'm happy I know where my fingers are it's just incredible it's funny, I was playing bass last week because uh, I was doing a little bit of recording at home. I'm not a very good bass player at all. In fact, I'm a terrible bass player. And um, it's almost humiliating having my fat fingers plodding up and down the fretboard and then going to watch something. You're quite right. Like the, Just like the, the sheer nonchalance of the way that he can do it is, is astounding. It's, it's, um, it's also deeply embarrassing <laughs> compared to my own half-arsed efforts. But it, it's, just, it's just amazing. And he's just so gifted at this instrument which you know it wasn't even remotely close to being his his first choice of instrument to be playing it's it's a it's an astonishing part of this song there was um i think we said before that um yeah i, I can't quite remember when i became aware of the beatles but obviously i was quite aware of of paul mccartney um and i bought tug of war roughly when it came out for example and there's there's I, I, there is an early video of not there early video what am I talking about there is a video in the sort of the early to mid 80s I've got a funny feeling it might be that absolute stone cold classic spies like us hmm? remember that where of course he's playing absolutely all, he's playing all the instruments in in the studio while they interweave them with comedy clips from that comedy classic um and and just remember then thinking oh wow that's that's really really impressive 
and you know the the joke always used to be about you know Ringo Starr's not the best drummer in the world. Let's face it, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Now I know I know that's not that's not true, but Paul is just really talented at everything that he he turned to. He was the best musician, um, you know, in the band, and no doubt that he could play things that that the others couldn't, and just pick up a new instrument and get going on it reasonably quickly. Um, it's a fabulous thing to watch, and it's a fabulous thing to think that that person was involved in moving on popular music rather than getting involved and drawn into some other form of music. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've been spared the, uh, the Free Jazz Paul McCartney album, for which I think we can all be very grateful. But, I mean, it, it's just like, I mean, you, you, you sort of mentioned like Spies Like Us, but, I mean, that's uh, something which is going to go on and be a feature sort of throughout his career. Like, the, you know, for all that it's not necessarily the best piece of classical musical uh, ever written, but, like, to be able to do something like the Liverpool Oratorio and to be able to go forward and do that kind of writing as well... It, it does just demonstrate the sheer breadth. I know it wasn't done solo. I know, obviously, that he had help. I know the whole story behind it. But um, but it's still an amazing thing for somebody to be able to do. And when you pull it right back to kind of 1963, 1964, um, you can absolutely see the seeds of all that kind of stuff in, in just this incredible, yeah, like nonchalance, just this ability to just do the thing that he needs to do. Okay, so catchphrase time. Two things there. Um, firstly, <laughs> have we got a catchphrase? Well, no, I used it a lot in the previous episode, and, and I just thought, right, Excellent. okay, well, let's keep going with that. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I, I wonder how much then um, of that comes down to the influence of George Martin and the influence that he had on um, McCartney as a developing musician. Um, and secondly, you said that um, for all, it's not the best piece of classical music in the world. Was anyone ever claiming it was? No, I don't suppose anybody was, but I, I wanted to be, I wanted to, I think it is a good piece of music, but I, I was, I was trying to um, not simply oversell it simply because it was written by McCartney, you know. I just wondered if there was maybe some podcast somewhere where someone was, was pitching it against Mozart, uh, for example, or uh, a little bit of Babe. So today, the Liverpool Oratorio or Beethoven's Ninth? Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's a podcast out there for something like that. There's probably a podcast out there for everything. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't particularly my contention. Let's let's say it that way. But I, I mean, yes, absolutely. In terms of George Martin's influence, I'm a hundred percent sure that being exposed to that kind of thing is is um, ju it's just obviously naturally going to be something that he he's interested in. Um, I mean, we know going forward, you know, he he will do a lot of stuff with uh, sort of music concrete. He did a lot of electronic stuff, which obviously um, Lennon and Harrison got involved in as well. But you know, he he was also involved in some of that stuff too. And and you know, I think it, particularly, I think maybe from maybe sixty five ish onward, he's just a sponge. Just everything gets sucked up. Everything gets drawn in in terms of influence, in terms of style, in terms of. Uh, instrumentation and all of that will carry on sort of radiating out it's going to have a very significant impact on 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 the music that the band produced going forward so yeah absolutely i would say in terms of george martin's influence so away from george martin's influence there um something i find quite interesting about um this song is that although lyrically the content is really familiar um, you know, it's, uh, oh, you know, I'm going to be apart from you, but, you know, I still love you, blah, blah, blah. You know, absolute bog standard. 
there's something about the way that it's written, I can't quite put my finger on it, that just sets it apart from some of those early lyrics. Whether it's the, the you know, the future tense, you know, um, tomorrow I'll miss you, remember I'll always be true, I'll write home every day, I'll send all my loving to you. There's that kind of like statement of intent. I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, the, there, there's the odd little phrase in there that sounds a little bit more sophisticated as well. I can't imagine that that six to 12 months before um, he would have written a line like, I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I am missing. You know, it, it's, it's a step up, I think, from what's come before, even if it's within the same... Um, you know, the same realm of, you know, trite um, um, pop lyrics about being away from the person that they love. I think the song that this probably bears the most comparison to is P.S. I Love You, uh, because they're both very much kind of letter songs. You so know, I, I think that's that's the one that it's probably best to compare it to. And it's clearly more sophisticated than that. It's got a much sharper sort of lyrical twist to it. It's certainly more sophisticated in terms of the, the way that it's written. Um, and it's a, a much more confident song than, uh, I use that word again, but much more confident song than, than P.S. I Love You. It's got that energy and drive. There's something, P.S. I Love You is a bit winsome. I mean, we talked about this on that episode, but it, it, it's it's a perfectly fine song, especially from somebody at that age, at that point in their writing career. But this is just so much more. And that, you know, particularly that I'll write home every day and I'll send all my loving to you. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely in the same oeuvre. It's, it's, a, it's a letter song. Um, and it's using that simplicity of, of rhyme, the kissing, missing, kiss you, miss you. That's giving it its energy. It, that it's, it's exactly the simplicity that makes it work. It's not trying to be clever. It's not trying to be sort of lyrically sophisticated. In fact, it's doing the exact opposite. It's using its simplicity as the kind of driving motor behind the lyric. It makes it very memorable and it stands out because it is just kiss miss. It's, it's, it's such a, such a simple rhyme scheme. But it's incredibly effective and it's got that kind of, it's got Ringo's shuffling beat behind it, it's got the walking bass, it's got uh, Lennon's rhythm guitar and it just all clicks in in a way that that slightly kind of winsome, slightly kind of um, precious aspect to P.S. I Love You just doesn't. Yeah, it's way, way better. Okay. Two things. Two things. <laughs> it's not a letter song. It's a song that mentions letters. It's not a letter song. It's, I, 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 it's in the same style if it's not a pure example of it. Okay, all right, you know. Right, just wanted to say that. Secondly, um, I'm, I'm putting you on warning. You've used joie de vivre and oeuvre now. One more of those, and, and I'm, I'm pressing the stop button. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'll back away slowly from the French. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's a statement of intent, isn't it? It's, it's a statement of just how deep um, the love is. Although, I have to say, if the love's that deep, why is he going away? I, I, um, is it, does that ever get mentioned? I mean, there should... I, I don't believe that it does. There, there should be a little something in there, you know, perhaps um, there, perhaps there's a missing verse in which he says, um, you know, um, while I'm away because I need to work because I can't earn the amount of money that I can in Liverpool, wages are much better in Hamburg, um, blah, 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 blah. And although I'll probably cheat on you because that's what they did in Hamburg if that's where they're going. Um, and in fact, I don't know just how great they were when they were on tour anyway. I'll still write home uh, to make you feel better, even though, of course, my conscience will uh, be compromised. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that that verse is written down somewhere. Maybe he'll save it till after, after his death. 
It's catchy. I'll give it that. <laughs> I need to work um, on might, the rhyme. Might have to work in your rhyme scheme, but other than that, I'm I'm sure you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you're. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I uh, I don't know. Does it need it though? That's the question. Do you think it needs an explanation? Isn't there some Sorry? some thought that this was written for Jane Asher? Um, I mean, everything is at this point, isn't it? Probably. Let, never confuse the the song with the person. I guess. Unless they specifically say, I wrote this about. Indeed. Well, also, you mentioned, I mean, talking about Hamburg there, whatever, you mentioned the live um, performances of this. Mm. Um, the other thing it's worth pointing out in terms of live performances is that this was the first song they played on Ed Sullivan. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. If this is your opening number on the first time that you play the Ed Sullivan show and this is the song, not even a single, this is the song that you select. That really... Oh, I was going to use French again there. I had to very quickly stop myself from doing it. That really, uh, really emphasises how much um, they invest in this song, just how important it is to them. And also, bearing in mind that you could argue that for the first few years of their existence, they were regarded as Lennon's band. That, that for them to, to do that, is that sort of sign that you know what Paul's punching his weight that that it's more than than just the older boys band now it's um it's it's something for for the pair of them to really show uh, their equal talents yeah well I mean the, this being the third song on, on with the Beatles and I'm not going to talk too much about the album because we'll, we'll we'll do an episode about that obviously when we get to the end of this but you know it, We've opened with um, "It Won't Be Long" and "All I've Got to Do," which is a terrific one-two punch. But this is this is McCartney's big impact on the album. This is his statement of intent, and and for a song like this to be following two already, you know, really really strong numbers, we have the idea that this song is is strong enough to do this. Next time out, that's not going to be quite as much the case. I think it's fair to say, but um, it does it does occupy that position whereby it's alongside two incredibly strong. Lennon numbers and it bears comparison so yeah you're absolutely right I mean this this is a real sign of McCartney kind of stepping up to the plate you know um while we're sort of at least um closely talking about um live performance of this there are quite a few I mean it was a song unlike the first two on the album which they they basically never played live this is one that, that made it into the set and stayed in the set for you know as long as they were touring it's it's one of the most played um, Beatles live songs, or one of the one of the ones that they played the most. So there's there's a fair bit of footage out there that that you can watch, uh, and I find it really interesting. And this is a sign of just how professional Mr. McCartney is. That on one, I think it's from Indianapolis, for example. He talks about it being a song that um, that they they've recorded recently, and it appears on our first Capitol record. And you think, whoa, Paul, okay, well done. You know, you're, you understand the industry. You understand that, although it's obviously on the second album that they recorded, that in America, we're doing things slightly different here. Um, but it's also quite interesting that, that they have a very straightforward introduction to it. But it is quite a formal thing. It's like, oh, hello, good evening, how are you? Um, here's a song that we, we've recently recorded and released. We hope you like it. It's called All My Loving. Cheers. Close your eyes. You know, and it's, um, 
you know, it's still that that kind of old school cabaret style um, introduction, even though they are becoming uh, pop slash rock band. But they they've still got that that sort of the way of doing it that that some of those singers had always done. Polite bit of um, 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 introduction, say the name of the song, and then get started. You know, years to come, that obviously changes enormously with uh, with singers on stage, but. You know, just a little sort of insight, you know, uh, Mr. Macca thumbs aloft, as it were, is, um, is is really just the consummate professional. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from that sort of variety theatre background as well. You know, that would be, particularly in the UK, that was going to be the dominant uh, sort of performance style. That's what would get broadcast on television in terms of things like uh, Sunday Night at the London Palladium. You know, there would have been a lot of kind of, um, you know, I was going to say end of the pier. That sounds more dismissive than I mean it to because it wouldn't. It is now, but it wouldn't have been then. But you know, all these kind of um, places that that uh, put on uh, variety theatre places in in, in like Bournemouth and Brighton and Blackpool, all the bees basically, and um, you know that that would have been the style that they were they were going for. That would have been the 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 basically the default approach. But it, it's amazing also how well it translates. They, they don't know anything else at this stage, you know. Um, exactly. This, this is part of that evolution. Yeah. We haven't really mentioned um, the others too much. Um, and in fact, what we haven't mentioned is um, what I think is the one possible blot on the landscape of this song. And that's that's not down to technique. Uh, it's not down to, um, you know, anything to do with the performance. It is down to the one, what I think is the one flaw in this song. And that's the um, what the hell were you thinking guitar solo? Oh, I quite like quite I quite like that guitar solo. You don't you don't you don't warm to it. I just don't think it fits at all. You know, it feels like um, sort of uh, latter day Peter Buck REM guitar solos. When it's a case of I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I can't think of a way to get from here to there. I'll just play something that sounds a little bit like something I've done before move on. And this this case, it's a case of, oh, I'm going to do something that sounds a bit like Chet Atkins uh, and hope that it fits. Well, actually, I don't think it does. I think it's cabaret. I don't think it's pop. Um, I can see that, but I don't I don't think that it fits particularly badly. And it, it's given that big kind of um, plump bass introduction, it, you know, the big dum dum dum. It doesn't honestly give him a lot of places to go. It kind of it, it's it, it, it's fed so directly from the the bass line that McCartney gives that 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 lovely little um, it, it's when it breaks out of the walking pattern. But it's it's. Hmm. Perky again. It's that little perky bass line, and it kind of feeds straight into um, George's little uh, guitar line. It is definitely something um, that he's done before, and we will, I'm sure, mention this many times in many future episodes. But when George doesn't know what to do, he just trots out his little Carl Parkins cliches, and that fills the slot, and away we go. But I don't think at this point in their uh, recording career it's become the kind of cliche that it will do, especially the next two or three albums. Yeah, Harrison does that a lot before he kind of finds a new way to um, develop his own, develop his own cliches, develop his own style. Um, but I don't, I think, I don't know, I think it works fine here. I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me or feel particularly at kilter. I do think it's in a different style. I do agree with that part of what you're saying. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel that it, um, I don't feel that it's a poor fit. Okay, well, we right, well, I suppose we could carry on um, trying to persuade each other, but I don't think we're going to. 
<laughs> no, I don't think we are. No, okay. Well, that's fine. It, we're, it, it's, it's, it's good that we don't just agree on everything. There are some some sort of interesting things about this song that I, I hadn't heard about until um, starting to, to read around it. And some of it I'm not sure is especially relevant or, you know, I suppose how much validity there is to it. But the, the, did you read that, that apparently this was the song that was playing in the hospital as, as uh, John died? Um, it, it seems like a, a, a bit of a, a weird coincidence. I have heard that story before, but I'm not... I, I, I mean, I, I suppose there's no real way to sort of validate it or invalidate it yeah. one way or the other, but I, it seems a bit... On the one on the one hand, it seems a bit kind of contrived, but on the other hand, if you were going to pick a song that was like, oh, what a spooky coincidence, there was a Beatles song playing when John Lennon died, would... All my loving necessarily be the one that you would go for, like even if you didn't go for one that was obvious. Surely you would go for like a Lennon song, not like an unbelievably distinctive McCartney song, unless you think he planned the whole thing in the same way that the Queen killed Diana. Instant karma, maybe. Instant, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I don't know. It's 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 a weird one. What, what's what's your take? I, I also think that um, uh, bearing in mind that if the radio was playing in the background. Um, it's going to be on um, a radio station that is generally quite popular, and you would have thought that, bearing in mind that that you know Lennon had been making um, a comeback anyway, that um, it's not impossible that on a very popular radio station they're going to play music by a very popular band, and they might pick a very popular song by a popular band on that popular music station. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that. Um, a radio station they happened to be tuned into was playing the Beatles and therefore actually the fact that it was all my loving is just pure coincidence yeah that's that's a popular opinion okay good um <laughs> one thing that that I do want to mention though is we, we start to get into the realm with with this as a song of some more interesting um covers and Covers that aren't just people doing a hey, we're doing some Beatles songs um, on uh, on an album, uh, which is which is quite interesting. So um, I suspect you you may have listened to it as well, but but Prince Buster's version uh, of this, yeah, which, yeah, yeah, you know, under two minutes long, and they deal with the guitar solo by not having the guitar solo, uh, for example. Um, I think is just great fun. Um, and it's it's slow and steady, but rhythmic, um, and just a wonderful, wonderful interpretation of the song. Have you heard it? Well, I've, yeah, 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 of course. And, and you know, it's it's following up on um, on those offbeats that um, Lennon is providing on on uh, rhythm guitar, and that fits perfectly with Prince Buster's style. And you know, like Prince Buster, how far wrong can you go anyway? But you know, it's just, yeah, it's a fantastic cover version. And it's it's taking that one aspect of the song, amplifying it up in, essentially to be the, the primary aspect of the song and yet still delivering a fantastic version. It's exactly what every single cover version should do, every single good cover version. It's a reinterpretation, but it's also having those key elements of the song which are there in the first place. It's fantastic. And it, it works despite the fact that it is it is substantially slower. I mean, obviously we've spoken before about the fact that so much of the Beatles' output is is, is fast. Even even the slow songs are fast, if you see what I mean. Um, but where I was, I was a little disappointed 
Um, you know, when, when doing a search, saying, oh, the Arctic Monkeys have done a version. Ooh, okay, this could be interesting. Actually, it kind of is, but it mostly isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a slow-down version that's very respectful and it's perfectly fine, just not very interesting. I don't think that if you're covering a song like All My Loving, Respectful is the way to go. There are some songs where that's perfectly fine. Um, and generally speaking, the simpler the song is, the more likely it is to be respectful. So if you take something like, well, something, or Yesterday, or songs like that, they invite respect. You know, they invite that kind of very serious-minded, very emotional, very heartfelt kind of way in into the song. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, there's no, no criticism of that at all. But that's not what a song like All oh, My Loving demands. It's full of energy and life and spark and words that I'm not allowed to say in French. And it just doesn't need to have that kind of that kind of respect to it you should get stuck into it and chew it a bit and you know get 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 your fingers under it and, and get your nails dirty that it's that kind of song and so that's absolutely what the prince buster version does and that's what's going to make this a good cover version feels like it needs a bit of oomph and the oomph oomph is exactly the word yes yeah um and the other one that 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 seems you know reasonably relevant to mention is the uh, amy whitehouse Amy Whitehouse, Amy Winehouse version. Oh, okay, I don't know where that came from. Um, I've only seen a, a, I don't know if there was a, an actual recording of it, but um, seen a version that she did on the BBC's Glastonbury coverage, you know, sort of a round the campfire version. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's fine. Her voice is fantastic. It, it doesn't really do much for me in that sense. And, and it's quite a sort of a soulful um almost sultry version and there's a load of guitar noodling um you know it's slow and it's meaningful but just feels a bit empty for my liking it kind of feels a bit like you know you're just kind of doing what you always do but I, i'm sure that there are yeah I'm, I'm not a massive fan of, of a lot of uh um amy winehouse's um output so Perhaps I'm, I'm just bringing my own preconceived idea to it. it it's it's perfectly fine, and you can you can tell it's good, and you can, you know she's got a fantastic voice. It just doesn't really do anything. I think it's definitely a song where if you're going to, um, I guess it's kind of sort of the same point I made before, really. But what technical proficiency is not what this song needs. And, and for that kind of thing, if you're singing it in like a perfect voice and uh, with perfect pitch, and you know, it's Amy Winehouse, nobody's going to criticise her voice. But that's not necessarily what this song demands. Like, even if you listen to McCartney and those, those kind of um, opening lines, he's not quite pitch perfect. He's not quite right on every single note. But the fact that it's a little bit scruffy on the vocal, the fact that it doesn't quite manage to hit, that's what gives it its energy. That's what gives it that that extra little lift. And and it doesn't need to be. This is a fast paced song. You've got we haven't talked about Ringo yet, but we've you he's got that shuffling beat going on underneath it, which is just just like this non stop driver all the way through it. And so, you know, McCartney's singing it fairly fast, it's being played fast and, and so his vocal isn't a hundred percent in a heavy inverted commas here, technically perfect. But that's slightly, yeah, that slightly scruffy vocal really helps to sell what the song is trying to, to, to bring across. Whereas 
a very technically precise vocal. Yeah, it does kind of, you can appreciate the skill involved, but it doesn't, yeah, you use the word empty, and I think that's probably that's probably the right way of putting it. it. Just doesn't it doesn't fill the song with anything. I actually think he um, um, he has a bum note on the very first note of the song. There's something about that opening, yeah, that, yeah, that, that just doesn't sound yeah. quite right. But you know what? By the time by the time you've actually thought about it, he's he's actually onto the second verse, and and everything's so bright and fresh and lovely that it doesn't really matter. Um, but then in a there are there are plenty of us of a, a certain generation who are used to imperfect singers and quite happy with imperfect singers, particularly imperfect male singers. I think uh, in general, people are a lot less forgiving of some of the, um, you know, the female singers, but you know, I absolutely adore the work of, um, I don't know, Billy Bragg, Shane McGowan, um, you know, Bob Dylan, and you know, there'll be dozens of others um, who, who aren't particularly great when it actually comes to the, the technical side of it. But, for whom it it just works, um, and and maybe there's some sort of um, prejudice in there that I'll I'll need to work through. But you know what? Sometimes those imperfect singers just work. There you go. I, I don't know. That that's something I'll come back to time and time again. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think you're wrong, and you know, it's not like McCartney isn't capable of producing a, a technically proficient vocal. He very very obviously is, even at this stage in his career. But that's not what this song needs. It's not what it calls for, and that's that's absolutely fine. But this is all about subjective judgments, anyway. Um, and so, you know, like the fact that you know, Lennon's voice is not technically wonderful. I don't really. I mean, Lennon's voice slightly grates on me in a way that McCartney's doesn't. George Harrison's. I don't think. Yeah, even he would probably admit he, he wasn't the strongest singer. I mean, he sings out the side of his mouth for goodness' sake. But it kind of works on on you know a lot of that sort of drawl that he has kind of works on a lot of his songs. Um, it's, it's, it's subjective and it's an emotional reaction. And there's something about those, those very clean um, singers, you know, I'm not saying Amy, Amy Winehouse was, but the ones where, you know, the production has kicked in and, and everything is smoothed over that just feels ugh, to me. And it's so much so that I can't even get um, a correct word out. All very Simon Cow. Oh dear, no, that's that's harsh words indeed. But I know what you mean. Yeah, that 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 purity just doesn't lend anything to this kind of song. I I completely agree. So we we've drifted, um, quite substantially. Um, as is our want. As is our want. Um, so so maybe it's a useful thing then to um, just to kind of bring it back. And while we're then talking about the singing as well, to recognise the fact that actually in that final chorus type thing. Um, you know, there's the the a distinct ooh in there where you can feel that McCartney is bringing this to an end. It is one of those songs that that does do that, bringing it to a conclusion. And and again, you, just watching the the live videos of them, um, then playing it, finishing climax, bow, mm-hmm, get ready to play another song, is is just actually quite heartwarming. Yeah, I, 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 it, it's, it's another one of those songs that I'm really glad it comes to a proper conclusion rather than fading out. Um, I think fading out would really dissipate the energy that the song has built up. But that, uh, and it's done, and that's it, and it, it really captures it. It really kind of contains and and, and encapsulates the energy of the song with that that kind of ending. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And yeah, you're right. When you, when you, whenever you see. 
McCartney playing this live, he looks so pleased with himself when he gets to the end of it. As well, he should be. I don't mean that as a criticism, but you could just like, we've done it. We've knocked this one out, boys. It's fantastic. He looks really happy when he finishes playing this song, and and it's it's well earned. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and that's where I yeah I I bow to him and say, uh, well done, well done, you. Uh, we have now reached the high watermark um of uh, of this album and for the next few weeks at least it's kind of downhill yeah we're gonna have a few weeks before uh we get to anything which is quite going to be able to uh reach these standards but before we leave this song we have to give it a grade so um what's your mark for we this we don't one? have to no but we're going to so <laughs> what's your mark for this one Oh, um, uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I would need to um, um, pause slightly while I um, quickly have a look at the the sheet where I've wrote. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, with if it had a different guitar solo, I'd definitely give it um, an eight and a half, um, despite the fact that I object to um, half marks. Um, oh, I don't know. It's, it's probably an eight, isn't it? If if you think. Because it's, I mean, it is. It's a classic. Um, although I'm now looking at my ratings, and I've only given "She Loves You" an eight so far. Um, but I'm giving myself room to, um, um, you know, for those stone cold classics. And I think I did say it was a stone cold classic, um, which is a long way round of saying oh, eight. Eight. That seems fair. That's exactly what I'm going to give it. I, I I adore this little song. I think it's very. Um, charming. I think it's um, I, I, yeah. You say Stone Cold Classic. I'm I'm definitely not going to uh, disagree with that. It's got conviction. It's got uh, resilience. It's got energy. It's got life. I think it's I, I think it's as uh, as good a little song as you could have. And I'm going to give it an eight. And as we're virtually at the end, you can throw in another one of those French words if you like. Um. I'm going to hold it back for next episode, and and listeners will just have to wait and see how how uh, how exciting it is when I I make my selection from uh, my my limited French vocabulary. Um, I think we can probably wrap things up there then before before we offend anyone else. And let's just apologise to our French listeners now. Um, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. So if you're particularly interested in what I think about TV and movies and music and a whole bunch of other stuff that captures my imagination, that's where you can probably find it. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we will carry on regardless when we play our way through with the Beatles, which means we're going to feature George's very first song, uh, Don't Bother Me. But until then, keep listening.